You're listening to The Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness with your host, Rafika and Brother James. Welcome to another evening of live broadcast from the Keys 107 Network. I am your host, Rafika. My co-host, Brother James, will be in very shortly, unless he's here now. I think I hear I him. Am, I'm here right now. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, yes. And you're so, coming in nice and clear. Well, that's a good thing. Clear, clarity is, is, is something. <laughs> well, listen, Rafika, I believe today we're going to have a very good time talking about a topic that is dear to both you and I and when it comes to children and education you know we've been champion of those two areas for a very long time and our special guest is going to warm our heart with some of the activities and programming that he is doing in regards to that area so what what do we have on store for this evening Well, starting off tonight, of course, we have to allow Medea Allen to give us the healthy tip of the day, and she's ready on standby to do that. Um, Our special guest, Lonnie Gamble, is in the queue. He's here. Um, He's on standby. So, you know, this conversation about what is happening to young black boys in terms of how they present themselves how they develop their motivation, how they develop their perception of who they are starts at a very young age. It starts really before elementary school, but because of the social interaction and the progression of growth, it's emphasized in elementary school and it can either go good or it can either go bad or it can either somewhat stay in the middle. Well, I'm glad you said that. You know, I just want to make this statement and then we'll move forward. But as Lonnie comes on and talks about this uh, this wonderful topic, I wanted to make it perfectly clear that there is a, absolutely a war going on for the minds and hearts of our young black men. And the battleground someone has chosen, not the playground, but the classroom, the education, and 50% of our young black men are not graduating out of high school. They're dropping out. So we need someone to interfere with that process. So we're going to go now to our healthy tip of the day. And when Lonnie comes on, we're going to bring him forward and let him begin talking about his wonderful program, the YGs. And those of you who are listening uh, via the internet and those of you who are listening via your mobile phones, we want to welcome you and thank you for taking a moment of your time to listen to this very important topic. Those of you who are on the internet, you can call in at 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Call in and let us hear from you. Let us know what your thoughts are and what your experiences are. And all we all have experiences, especially those of us who have children. Stand by. The Keys 107 and com presents The Healthy Tip of the Day. The Healthy Tip of the Day is to schedule rest periods in your day just as you would for other appointments. Leaving time in your schedule for rest instead of activity is like 
hitting a reset button for your mind and body. A great way to do this is to take 15 minutes out of your day just to sit and do nothing. Taking time to pause can improve your mood and help you feel more refreshed and focused. Today's healthy tip of the day has been brought to you by wellness expert Medea Allen. I invite you to learn more about me and my services at www.organicsoulchef.com. Alphabet is available on Amazon.com and on Kindle. So get your copy today. For more information, visit them online www.thefluffamily.com. Just to give you a brief background on our special guest, uh, Lonnie Gamble, and Lonnie, just to let you know also that your mic is live, uh, Lonnie Gamble okay. got his start. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to the Keys. Well, hello. Well, hello. My, my, mic, my mic is live now. I'm live. Your it's, mic is live. Check in. That's right. Well, let You're... me say hello to everyone. Good evening, Rafika and Brother James, and thank you for having me. Well, and hello to all the people that are listening. Oh, the, yes, the yes. pleasure is all mine. It's always a joy when we get a chance to to talk to each other. I look forward to it at all times. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you. I, I was saying that um, Lonnie is no stranger to the Keys 107. Uh, we are media partners with him, and we joined forces when he did that awesome fundraiser with the stylistics with Eddie Holman, and Lonnie came on to talk about what that fundraiser was for, but we're going to go into that when we talk about Kappa. So just give our listening audience a brief background of your rich history. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, musically, uh, it started for me at a very early age in, in Philadelphia, and my professional career didn't really take off until I had the opportunity to uh, join the stylistics and become a part of their uh, their recording and uh, touring band as a guitarist. Uh, and that was back in the 80s. And that was a great time for me, one of the first gigs that I actually got paid for, you know, because I was working <laughs> before then, but I could never get paid, you know. We understand. Uh, <laughs> we could never get paid, man. It was the craziest thing. So it was nice for me to actually get a real game and be a part of an organization. Are we losing you? Lonnie, you're fading. I'm fading? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you're back on. I don't know why. I'm back? You're back on. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, It was great just to be a part of uh, the stylistics of all the wonderful music that they had recorded long before I began. I remember, you know, listening to all their music and to have an opportunity one day to actually be a part of that was a thrill for me. But it just goes to show you when you prepare 
for something, the opportunity will always present itself, whether or not you're prepared for it when it comes, you know. Uh, it was an auditioning process, and thank God I passed it. And, and they took me on my first world tour, which is a three-and-a-half-month tour, uh, to places that I never thought in my wildest imagination that I would ever visit, and yet alone get paid to do it, you know. Mm. So that was that was the beginning. Go tell ahead. us what tell us what you were doing with the stylistics. Uh, playing guitar, I was guitar. a guitarist with the, with the band, and uh, that was mainly it. And I wrote some songs on a couple of the albums. I had a chance to write a couple songs that were album cuts. You know, they were never released as singles, but I did have the opportunity to to do a couple, uh, write a couple songs for their albums. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Lonnie. Um, at times, you're coming in crystal clear, and then at, at, you're fading in and out at certain points. So I don't know if it's movement or positioning of your mic or whatnot. But um, we, we want to make okay, sure that yeah. you, everyone hears every word that you have to say this evening. Yeah. Okay, I just cut off my Bluetooth. I'm on the phone now. Is that ah. better? Yeah, yeah, that's that's better. That's better. Much better. Okay, I, I think so, the Bluetooth was dying. I think it does that. <laughs> you yes, starts. you don't charge it. <laughs> well, I had it charged. I thought I had it charged. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's okay. <laughs> now, you, th- that experience with the uh, stylistics, because it is one of the iconic groups of all times in terms of R&B, and absolutely dear to my heart and, and Rafika's heart and so many others, what did you get out of that whole process of going on tour, the preparation for shows, you know, the professionalism that comes along with practice? You know, you had that great um, basketball player that talked about practice, what about practice, you know, but uh, talk to us how you have taken those things and have now implemented it in your life all these years and also um, how you are sharing that with others. Well, I learned at a very early age that you have to be committed for anything, sports, the arts. You know, it takes a real commitment because you spend a lot of time uh, practicing if you really want to get good at the, at the craft. You know, you have to spend a lot of time. So growing up, you know, as a teenager, I, I really wanted to learn instrumentation, drums and guitar. So a lot of times when my friends are running around in the streets, I'm in the basement practicing because it was something that I really wanted to to develop. So it's clear that, you know, more time on task is, is crucial for your development because it'll just create an opportunity. Uh, so that was easy for me because I really wanted to do that. I wanted to learn. I wanted to develop. So when the opportunity came for to audition for the job, I was pretty, pretty prepared for it, you know, uh, because I had spent time developing that that craft and I had the opportunity I didn't have much to worry about because I grew up uh, in a stable home you know with a mother and father you know it was normal you know it was normal I didn't have to worry about where the next meal was coming from like a lot of boys and girls today you know they're growing up in poverty man and they're uh, taking on the role as the adult in in the home you know Yes. But for yes. me, I didn't have to worry about that. I was a kid, I was a teenager, and I did teenage things. You know, I had little jobs, and all the money that I made stayed with me. So it was easy for me to to develop because I had 
those basic needs that I needed were always being met by my parents, you know. Uh, so, you know, but a lot of kids today, which is one of the reasons why it inspired me to develop a, uh, a youth intervention and development program, because some kids just don't have that opportunity. So as a community, we have to create it for them. Mm. So, you know, that was a great opportunity for me. I, I, I they, they, I learned. They, I traveled the world. I saw places and learned about other countries and things, places that I never thought I would get a chance to um, to visit. And, and, and I mean, the Middle East, the Far East, you name it. Australia. We have been there more than once, and uh, it was just a great opportunity and a great experience. It was exposure uh, to to the arts and exposure to places and the people, the culture. You know, and I learned by traveling around the world that with all the problems we have here in America, it's still the best place to be <laughs> right now. <laughs> you know, now let me ask with you all of our issues. Your your passion for music and now that you are actually are engaged in uh creating platforms and programs and opportunities for youth, um, tell us how you're emerging uh, those two those two aspects together, and what do you expect, or what do you uh, what is the results that you anticipate for having this merger of your passion for music and your love for um, you know educating children? Talk to us about that. Well, it was really designed just to to basically create uh, an outlet for for boys and girls. When I started the nonprofit, we started off as a basketball program. We were doing basketball for three years before we did anything else. And the basketball was a tool of engagement because at at that time in the community, we had this whole surgeons of the blood and crypts coming in to rural community, rural Pennsylvania, you know. It was the weirdest thing where that whole influence of the city is coming into rural Pennsylvania. And for some reason, they were recruiting boys to sell drugs and join gangs. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time and saw the problem and just wanted to be a part of helping to create some solutions. So for three years, all we did was gang prevention using basketball as a tool of engagement to keep kids from joining gangs, selling drugs, that kind of thing, you know. Because a lot of boys that were being recruited for the gang activities were boys that didn't have a male figure, a father in in their life, you know. Mm -hmm. And for me... uh, I got to take you back a little bit further. I was working for the public housing authority at the time. And by taking that job with the housing authority, it was a point in my life where I didn't want to travel anymore. I wanted to sort of just stabilize my life a little more. I was tired of the running around and uh, I had a background in, in social human services. So I took a job with the housing authority. And it was at that time that I really saw the problem you know, because for, for years in my life, I was just traveling around, you know, mm-hmm. playing music in the studio here and there, moving, not really paying attention. And I had lived in that community since 1989, 
but still didn't really see what was going on because I was never really there. You know, I'm traveling right. around, traveling around. So when I, I I sort of slowed down, I saw the problem, and I knew I just felt it in my spirit with all that was given to me, how God had blessed me. He was sort of prepared me for helping to be a part of of creating solutions. So when I saw how the engagement tool worked with the basketball. Uh, mm-hmm. We did that for eight years, but after the third year, we ventured into uh, the performing arts, using that as another tool of engagement for kids that maybe weren't too academically, I mean, uh, athletically inclined. We started creating more opportunities. And for me, it was always a carrot. What tool do we use to engage kids? Right. You know? Right. So it went from sports to to the arts, to the performing arts. And mm. seeing how, knowing what it did for me uh, growing up, having that opportunity to to learn about the arts and participate in it, I just felt that it would have the same effect if, it would, if, if they were just given the opportunity. Understand, understand. Now, now, once your eyes were open to the problem, and you you made that commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. You were just kind of searching for what is it that I could do to help these young people get their lives in order. Actually, more of a preventive thing because I looked at some statistics that we're um, looking at. It was saying about the dropout rate when young young men drop out of school. They're three and a half times. Um, more likely to be arrested and mm-hmm. eight times as likely to be incarcerated. So I think maybe you didn't have the numbers back then, but you could see the trail of when a child is not being engaged in school and uh, he gets pulled into the streets. So right now you're going to be between um, the between school and streets with your program, trying to keep these young folks uh, from focusing on negative things and negative activity. So tell me about those trials and those challenges that you had with that. Well, once you, like you said, once you got exposed to the data, to the statistics, it was just a matter of that, what do we do about it? Because for a year, maybe a year and a half uh, into my job, I'm, I was also the community liaison. And I found myself just going to all of these meetings, and all we did was meet and then have another meeting. And before you knew it, you know, 15 months had gone by, and all I was doing was going to meetings. And and I didn't really like that, you know. I, I just didn't like the way that felt. Uh, so I was blessed. I I met some people, a guy named Bruce White, uh, very instrumental in the beginning, one of the only fathers that showed up for a meeting that I called when I met some boys hanging in the streets and, and said, look, why don't we, you know, talk? What do you guys want to do? And they said, we want to play ball. I said, okay, well, let's have a meeting. Meet me at this time, at this day at the community center and bring your fathers and uncles or brothers with you. About 60 boys showed up, but only three of them had fathers out of 60 boys. So wow. that's when I knew it was a problem. You know, with the 60 boys in a room, 
in their first meeting, only three of them have fathers. And out of the three that did, one of the fathers showed up. And he happened to be a guy that I knew from the time when I was in the car business. You know, so he mm-hmm. was the beginning and the instrumental part in helping develop that basketball program because that was his forte. And his name is Bruce White. And he was also one of the co-founders when we became the nonprofit organization. And shortly after that, I met a a lady named Eileen Harley. The next year, met her, and she has an academic background. So we started to develop this uh, community uh, advisory council, if you will, of people with different talents and, and backgrounds, you know. Now, did I answer your question, or did I get off track? No, no, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're answering it because here. I just want to say this before you continue on. You're going down a, a nice road here, you know, showing us how you got started and who helped you. But the alarming thing that you said was 60 young boys showed up for a meeting, mm-hmm. and three of them had fathers. So mm-hmm. that means that you're talking about 5%. I'm going to use 5%. We're going to be a little bit more than 5% of the young men had fathers. 5%. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that's not a good number. That is not a good number. So here lies part of the problem. So I just want to, uh, oh, you know, geez. we're going to come back to that. But mm-hmm. go on down the road and continue on with the team that you start building and this, the essence of how the CAPA program came into existence. Well, uh, after the first year, you know, it, it felt good to all of us. You know, we were out there. Several people came on board. A lot of others from the community came on board to volunteer as uh, coaches, you know, and referees for the games and you know, so that first summer went with 60 boys. We had 60 boys and a few girls, pretty much. And we spent our whole entire summer developing this gang. It was really a gang prevention uh, model, but we used the basketball as the tool of engagement. And it worked. And it felt good, you know. We spent our summer doing it, but at the end of the day, it just felt good. The next year... uh we ended up with 90 kids, uh, and it was just started to grow. The word was getting out in the community, and and now we had some uniforms, some you know jerseys that we could put on the boys and girls, and it was just you you could see where it, the, the the tool of engagement was having an effect. We were connecting with people that we wouldn't have had an opportunity to connect with without providing that opportunity for them mm-hmm. and it was True. clear that they wanted to play basketball right you know? True basketball but but when I met them they said to me that well people been saying that they were going to start a basketball league but no one ever ever did it for us you know so after hearing that I knew that we had to do something we had the resources we had a facility we had a an area with a basketball court so we just had to develop it and and we we were blessed you know some some money came through and it worked. Uh, and then the third year was 121. Uh, the third year. Remember, for three years, it's just basketball. Mm-hmm. We weren't doing anything else. Just all summer long, we would spend the winter months raising the money 
for uh, the summer program when the kids were out of school. You know, so it was clear that, you know, this that word engagement, you know, uh, carries. What can you do to connect? So we were able to connect, you know, by giving them what they what they wanted, you know, and what they needed. They needed some type of a structured activity because uh, I had that too growing up. I always had a, you know, a, a playground or somewhere I could go, some community center. Uh, you know, I grew up at a time where there were just opportunities, you know. And, again, having a mother and a father that made sure we participated in, in things, you know. It was like that in, in the house that I grew up in, you know. My mom would go out and find things for us to do, you know. Mm. And she would come back and say, hey, they got a program down here. You guys are going to start there tomorrow, you know. Right, no <laughs> problem. Like, right, it was like that. And it was yeah. always cool. It was always something good that you wanted to do. Uh, so, you know, for so those first three years were really good, and it taught me a lot about how to connect with, with young people, you know, by giving them things that they're interested in and making it real structured for them. So we started to tie all these other components into it. We called them the workshops, you know, youth development workshops, youth engagement workshops, and, and we would – you know, give them information, you know, and mentor them and give them a lot of tools that they would need to be successful in school and how to avoid uh, the gangs, uh, the blood and the crip members that were trying to recruit them for, you know, for whatever they wanted them to do, whether it's carry a gun or sell drugs, you know, that kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was clear, you know, that something was happening. We were making the connection. And uh, and it was at that time that I really saw where I needed to go, where I really wanted to be uh, in my life at that point because I felt that I had been blessed, you know, to travel the world many times and and have some other successes other than the, what I did with the stylistics. And it was just time for me to give something back, you know. Uh, in my life, it was just time to do something other than just for me, you know. Right, right. Because right, when you right. when when you when you know when you're caught up in the music business, you can go for years, uh, just building, chasing that next hit or that next gig. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you know time had gone by and you hadn't really done anything for anybody else. You're just so busy doing your own thing, you know. Well, well, the music this, industry this is better. hypnotic. Yeah. Yes. And disconnected. Yes. Because you're traveling, you're not listening to the news in your community, and you only hear it when you come back. Um, you know, when you come back home for for a rest, a rest over. But I want to go back to um, something you talked about. You said that the um, the lack of fathers being present in the children's lives and it started at one number, then the next year it grew and then it grew. And what you had an opportunity to witness was the desire for the children in that community to do something. So they didn't want to just stay home. They wanted to Uh -uh. do something, but there wasn't anything available. Right. And and let's right. let's let the listening audience know that we're talking about Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
The home uh, of the Little League World Series. What was it? The World, the World Series? World Series, yep. That's yeah, right. That's yeah, so. Yeah, the Little League World Series. How could you uh, have that legacy children. and not have something for children to do? Or is it that it well, was children in that community that didn't have anything to do? Right, that demographic of there the you community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that demographic of the community. Uh, there was just nothing really there, you know. And and during the time, and remember, all this time, I'm still working for the Public Housing Authority, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm working for them. So I'm seeing all of this thing, all of this go down. And even during that time that I'm working for the uh, 90% of the uh, the tenants that lived in the property were single women. Mm. Yeah. Wow, so that's even a in that number. situation, so I'm really I'm exposed to it, man. I'm seeing it, and I'm just I'm looking at how how bad this is, you know. And then I'm learning more because I'm working for a housing authority, so I'm getting all the data. I'm learning things that I I never really took the time to really pay attention to before. But it was clear that it was a problem, you know. And like Brother James said earlier about the dropout rate, the incarceration rate, you know, you start seeing all of these statistics and you, you see, okay, this there's a trend here and we have to start becoming a part of the uh, solution, you know. And uh, So that's how it all started for me, getting exposed to the problem seeing it and then wanting to be a part of helping to make things better if I could. Mm-hmm. So I want to just talk about before we go to the next level of the actual formation of Kappa, what are some of the obstacles that you, that was presented to you that you overcame and how you overcame them in this, in the beginning, in the formative stage, let's call this the basketball era. Hmm. Wow, why did you have to go there? Now I got to tell you the story. <laughs> wow. All things happen for a reason. After that third year, uh, we started to really gain uh, some exposure in the community, some news articles, and I was out raising money because before I took that job, I was still playing music around the community so I became very well known as uh, as a musician there and and I was uh, selling cars too at some point. I was selling BMWs and Hondas so I got a chance to meet a lot of people. It was a very lucrative business for me too, you know, during that time but I met a lot of people from the car uh, days selling cars and from the music business so it was easy for me to raise money to help this program because people knew me from the other side. But what happened uh, is that the the housing authority tried to steal the program from me, you know. And and that's, that's another conversation. But anyway, they weren't successful at it. So I, uh, I walked away from that job. Well, I got fired from the job, really be honest with you. They fired me because I wouldn't give them ownership of something that I, myself and other people in the community had sort of helped me develop, 
you know, I was not getting paid to do that. It was I was a volunteer, and we were doing this from four o'clock to eight o'clock at night on weekdays and on Saturdays. So that was I was off the clock at the housing authority, but the housing authority saw an opportunity, and they wanted to sort of take it over. And the fact that I wouldn't allow them to do that, they fired me, and then tried to slander me. Uh, but they weren't successful at it because it came back to bite them. And it was at that time that I realized, okay, this is meant to be, you know, because you can pray for something, I realized, and uh, God will answer your prayers a certain way. Absolutely. You know, and I remember going to work in the morning, not feeling like I didn't really like being there. I didn't like a lot of things that I was seeing. I just didn't like it anymore. It just didn't feel good. And I remember just, you know, praying for God to give me, to help me, help me not to lose. What's that? Don't push me because I'm close to the edge. Um, yes. Remember that song? Yes, sir. Like a jungle. You know, I was feeling like that. Don't push me because I'm about to lose it up in the air. And I didn't want to lose it. I, I didn't want that to happen. Uh, but so, but so anyway, uh it was time to move on when I saw the reality of that, but it, it, it made me realize that, okay, this happened for a reason. I prayed for God to open up another door, and he did. Because I was only thinking at the time we were on a public housing property, right? And I wasn't thinking outside of that public housing property. Right. You, you follow me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I realized God had a bigger plan this was a citywide thing, not a public housing thing to be stuck here in this one part of the city. This was citywide, but I didn't see it at the time uh, until, you know, that happened to me and it was time to just start a, a nonprofit. So uh, Eileen Harley, she's the other lady uh, that was, a, she's a retired educator now, but at the time when she came on board, she was a counselor with the school district. So she was giving me all the data that I needed to bring myself up to speed on uh, as it related to, you know, academics and, and from a school district perspective. So her and I kept kicking around, you know, the concept of a name for an organization that would reflect what I had just went through with the housing authority, and that's how the name came about. Community Alliance for Progressive Positive Action, and the acronym is CAPA. It was a part of a movement then, and we realized that this was a movement, you know? What we had started there was a movement. We were helping boys and girls. We were creating something that they had never seen before. We had never witnessed before. We had never done it, but it was a movement, and the name had to reflect that movement, and that's with the Community Alliance for Progressive Positive Action, CAPA. Mm-hmm. And how long did you, this CAPA uh, movement uh, go on, or is it still moving on today? Oh, it's, it's still moving on today. You okay. know, so in 2005, that's when we ventured into the performing arts because it was mm-hmm. clear that we were still missing a large group of young people that maybe, like I said earlier, we're not really into the sports thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a chance to sort of uh, use my expertise a little bit more 
because the basketball really wasn't my thing, you know. I didn't right. have that skill. The other guy, Bruce, had that skill. I just had the organizational business background skill where I could do the administrative piece and all the other pieces, but he actually handled the league itself. And I did all the other pieces, you know, behind the scenes. So looking at how the music had helped me, I said, well, why not do that too? You know, it helped me develop, so why not create that opportunity for the people, young people as well? And that's mm-hmm. when we started the Capital Performing Arts Showcase. You know, and we made a deal with, with Comcast where Comcast would film it. Well, we would... They wouldn't actually film it. We were filming ourselves, hire people to film it. The Comcast would give us a channel to run it on TV. So for nine months, yeah, for nine months, we would work with kids every Saturday um, inside a school. They gave us, we made a deal with the school district where they would give us a building on a Saturday, and we would bust the kids in from all over the city. Ended up with well over 140 kids. And every Saturday, we would be there for six hours developing their talent, helping kids with their tutoring, with their math, reading, and whatever subjects they were struggling with at school, we created a a tutoring opportunity for them as well. So kids Mm -hmm. would come and learn about the arts and get tutored and and tutoring support, that kind of thing. So for nine Mm -hmm. months, we would develop the talent, and then we would culminate it with a big show. Right. And Comcast gave us the channel. As long as we had quality footage, they would mm-hmm. put it on TV for us so kids could see themselves on TV mm-hmm. for like 24 times a year. You know, every all summer long, it's going to be on TV. It ran at least 24 times. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. And we ran that for seven years. Mm-hmm. Each year we would pick a, you know, each year we would pick a theme and run that theme. And some of our themes were like raising expectations, knowledge is power, each one mm-hmm. reach one, each one teach one, that kind of thing. Beautiful, beautiful. Now let me ask you, because I know you have somewhat of a perfectionist um, uh, uh, persona about you, were you able to instill some of that uh, into the young ones as they they were trying to learn more about performing arts and also their academic pursuits? Well, I'm not sure I understand the question. I, I think I lost you for a moment. Well, no, I'm saying, you know, I know how you try to perfect your craft. Um, did you, Were you able to take the music and the performing arts and, and instill that same type of spirit into the young ones over the seven years that you were doing that program. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, it it, it truly became the, the spirit of excellence with these kids. You know, just having the opportunity to get exposure to the arts on a level where you're actually getting trained and you're learning some technique, uh, it was clear that, yeah, we were making some headway. And kids mm-hmm. would understand because we were, they, these were real hard rehearsals. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we were rehearsing hard, really the time, you know, developing. But the first, second year was kind of rough on them because they didn't understand commitment. Mm-hmm. But when they, at the end of that process, of that nine-month process, 
seeing them do the performance place. Well, first we were up at the high school for two years, but mm-hmm. then the director of the community arts center saw the quality in it and invited us to bring that to the, the community arts center, which it was prime time downtown part and soul of the city. So it was a, mm-hmm. a better place for people to, to get to easier accessible to the community. But the kids started to develop and they started to realize that this was helping them to develop in so many other areas, you know. Uh, wow. The statistics so, have proved it, that music helps kids do better academically. I wanted to talk about the uh, program and the instruction. What, and, and not, they, weren't, they weren't just learning a song. They were learning about stage presence about microphone mm-hmm. techniques, about projections. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how that evolved into your program. Well, it's funny. When you bring kids around at first and you say, okay, show me what you, you know what, what you know, and the first thing they go to is some hoochie mama dance, I call it, something <laughs> that everybody's throwing in the hood, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they go through a song that has a lot of profanity in it because this yes. is what they know. Yes. You know, or you, uh, some kid wants to audition for a rap song. I said, well, go ahead. Let me hear what you got, you know. Let me hear it. Well, it's got profanity in it. Okay, you know, so it was always that. Either the dances were inappropriate for their ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they knew of music, of song, was songs that, Rap songs that, or other songs that were inappropriate, lyrical, the content of the lyrics are inappropriate. So we wanted to expose them to some real music. So we started to take them back to some of the stuff that we grew up on. Yes, sir. That had some relevance and some substance to it. And we would teach them these songs, like Wake Up Everybody, Teddy mm-hmm. Penny Grass, How Melon and the Blue Notes, you know. Ooh, child, by the five stair steps, you know, stuff like that. Uh, some Man. temptation stuff, cloud nine, you know. And how uh, did they take to like that? that? They didn't really dig it, but as they <laughs> got to, we started to educate them on the history of black music, they started to uh, appreciate it. Yeah. You know, once we would give them the, the knowledge of how our music came about. Mm-hmm. And at one point, we couldn't even, you know, we couldn't even put our picture on the album cover. Wow. Know, that they would take our music and put on the cover, you know, Caucasian people, that kind of thing, you know. And so they once they learned about the history of how the struggle was for us and learned more about Motown and how instrumental Motown was in changing that whole situation for for black people, they started to appreciate it more. Mm. Lonnie, I wish we had a sample of the music that these young people were able to do underneath your tutelage while they were in the Kappa program and the YG program. Well, oh, we have a lot of it. If, if people go to our YouTube channel, you can see all of those presentations, and our YouTube mm-hmm. channel is Kappa in Action. Just go to YouTube and type in Kappa, C-A-P-P-A-I-N, Action. And mm-hmm. that's all of our, from 2005 on up to 2011, different okay. clips of all the different songs, you know, mm-hmm. that they've learned, so, that they've learned through the years. 
this is a good time to segue into one of the um, recordings that you have. And then we're going to go to another commercial break. When we come back, we can go right into the YGs. And just wanted to remind the people who are calling in, or I see them on the switch, welcome to the Keys 107, especially for those of you who are here for the first time. Thank you for tuning in. But if you want to speak to Lonnie or weigh in on the conversation, you have to press the number one on your keypad. You've got to sort of raise your hand so I know that you want to speak. The okay. Keys 107 will be right back. Come along, children. Now we're going to have a little music like old time. You ready? Please. Listen to the Kappa YG. We hear this on the world what it means. So we do this on the one, two, three. Ooh, we from the stage. East Coast, West Coast, worldwide. We're put on this earth to survive. Yeah. The gift of life is to live, not die. At least try. No lie. Everybody wants in their life. Can't dreams of being a star. Yes, success. Money, health, and a car. But growing up, it's a struggle. Trying to get by. Seeing people lay down and die. Just trying to be fly. Yeah. 
To my son, my son is my partner. His name is Chris. He writes all of the lyrics, and we have like seven songs for the YGs. It's part of our curriculum, if you will, mm-hmm. and part of the brand building the brand. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's why they say listen to the Kappa YGs. And each time they say that, they are a part of the Community Alliance for Progressive Positive Action, getting them to think. Like mm-hmm. they have to think, like we thought for them, you know. Now you got to be a part of this mission and this philosophy to move it forward. But my son has a real God-given talent to give me what I, I'm looking for. Because I'll give him a topic and say, this is what I need, and then he'll create it. He'll create the content. And my nephew, Lance, was a part of creating that beat with my son, Chris, and that's my daughter singing the background for the boys. Her name is Tyrell. Okay. So it's a family affair, but I can hear a lot of voices of young people really oh, yeah. into it, you know, taking pride in being a part of the YGs. So tell us some things about the YGs. I know making music is a great deal a part of it because it's the, it's the part of the fiber of, of the black community, but tell us a little bit more about all that goes on with the YGs um, and what you aspire for them in the near future. Can we start with explaining what is a YG? What is a YG? What is, what is, what is a YG? Well, it's, it's short for Young Gentlemen. Um, it's the Young Gentlemen Project, Young Gentlemen Program, but we had to be real cool and hip with it. So we figured, okay, let's make them YGs. Now they have, because YG normally would stand for Young Gangster. Even Mm -hmm. back in 2007 when we started it, whenever you heard the term YG, it was Young Gangster, Young Gunner, something really negative in the black community that associated with that, uh, those initials, YG, you know mainly gangster, young gangster. So we figured, okay, let's flip it. Let's flip it. They're used to hearing the YG as it relates to uh, a negative overtones to it. Let's flip it to a more of a, a relevant, socially relevant, positive uh, image to it. So we came up with the YGs. So they're still young gentlemen, but they're known in their communities as YGs. 
because it's it's a lot hipper for them, you know. Mm-hmm. To to be YGs. You so know, let's talk about young. what is the scope the scope of the of the YG as a young gentleman project, and and you can go ahead and um just segue right into what you're doing in Pennsylvania. Well, just mainly to create opportunities for them uh, to decrease self-destructive behavior, give them exposure, give them opportunity, give them training. Again, it's going back to engagement. We knew that we could hook boys if we were doing hip-hop music, you know. Uh, so I got to go back to 2005 now when we first started the Performing Arts Component. Oh, yeah. Are you there? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we 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 ended up with a, a a ton of girls, and we didn't have many boys. We had about a hundred girls, and like three boys. So we had to find a way to get boys involved in the performing arts. And when you use that terminology to people of that demographic, they didn't really understand understand what the performing arts was a part of hip hop music too. It's all part of the arts. But they couldn't connect that. So if mm-hmm. you say rap music, oh yeah, I know rap. Yeah, I'm into rap. Okay, well rap is part of the arts. You you mentioned Denzel Washington, Samuel Jackson, you know, Will Smith, all these names that you guys know, they all are part of the arts, the performing arts. So we had to educate them on what that terminology meant. And hip hop and rap music came under the performing arts, you know. So once we started adding the hip-hop to it and started trying to recruit boys. Because we had a lot of boys in the basketball program, but they weren't participating in the performing arts program. So that's when we started to use the hip-hop terminology, say, look, we're going to start a hip-hop thing. Are you guys interested? And then they started to come around. And once they started to come around, we knew, okay, we need to expose them to another level of hip-hop could be socially relevant and still hip. Like you said, Rafika, that beat was hot, you know? So we figure let's expose them to another style where they can still be a part of hip-hop music but not have the negative overtones to it, where it could be empowering, it could be engaging, it could be uplifting, and it could be relevant, you know? Can you, are you there? Yes, I'm sorry. My mic just uh, went out for a quick moment. When you was talking about the engagement part and the hip-hop music, when young people look approach you to become a YG, what does that look like? Do they come up to you and say, hey, Lonnie, I want to be a YG? Well, now they will, uh, but... At first, we, we have to go out and recruit them, you know. And, like, for instance, now we're – the YG program started in 2007. Now, we had already started the performing arts piece in 2005, but we didn't really have the boys engaged until 2007. And that lasted in, in Williamsport up until 2011 because mm-hmm. uh, the funding started to dry up. We didn't – could, didn't have enough funding to run all these programs. Because remember, we're running an after-school program, 
We're running a basketball gang prevention program with 160 kids. We're running a performing arts program with another 140 kids. And now we got this after-school program going on at three different locations scattered throughout the city. It was just so much, but we didn't have enough funding support to sustain all of that. And, you know, we did get lucky, and we were blessed, I would say blessed, at one point where we were able to uh, garner some federal dollars through a congressman by the name of Christopher P. Carney. Don't forget that name, Chris Carney. Mm-hmm. Chris Carney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's no he's no longer uh, a congressman, but during the time that he was there, he went to Washington and he fought for us and he brought us back some real money that we needed uh, to to you know to to continue. But when Barack Obama was elected as president, uh, they had a lot of issues with a lot of people. They called it what pork money, so they mm-hmm. stopped the congressional earmarks at that point. And they weren't giving out the earmarks anymore. And we couldn't really compete being in rural Pennsylvania. We couldn't compete with the bigger cities like Philly, New York, North, Baltimore. I'm sorry about that. You know, the money started started to dry up. So uh, in 2011, we had to, you know, just let the showcase program uh, go because we needed to continue to drive the academic component. And we felt that that was more important because it was strictly academics, which was a shame because the other piece kept the engagement tool that we needed to to drive more of the academics. Now, this is in Williamsport you're speaking of now. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. well be- before we because go – I'm sorry. Because you're saying that the, that the uh, funding, the funding sources only saw the value – in the academics, the remediate, like, you know, you, you did homework, homework help, and, t- and tutoring in the after-school program. Is that correct? Well, I wouldn't say that. If we saw the value, if we figured, okay, if the money's going to dry up, then let's put it here. Whatever we have, let's continue making sure these after-school learning centers are up and running you know, and and we're still running today, five days a week, you know. We pick up kids from schools, even now as I speak. Uh, we pick up kids from three different schools. We feed them dinner. Uh, they get academic support in math, reading, language arts. You know, they get everything they need, a nutritional meal, and that's from 3 to 6.30, five days a week. Mm-hmm. So we had to sort of concentrate on that. You know, when we looked at, you know, we couldn't compete, we couldn't keep all of these things moving uh, without the funding to support it, you know. But we didn't, you know, I didn't want it to die. So for the last three years, I was saying, look, we can't let this program die. Because once you start looking at the data and the statistics, you just always pay attention to it, you know. And for the last past three years, I've been wanting to, sort of come back home to to Philadelphia and sort of revamp and re-energize the YG model because I knew that it just didn't get a fair shot up there. But I knew if if I brought it to any major city and just had an opportunity to expose it, 
mm-hmm. then it would work. So what I did, I came back to Philly a year ago and started to go into schools. And it's a real simple process. I just go in, do a little presentation, and say to the guys, I, you know, I'm looking to start a program. I want to play some music for you, see if you like it. I'll leave you guys a CD and a copy of the lyrics, and I'll be back a week later and let me know what you think. If it's something that you think you might be interested in it. And I still don't tell them about the life skills and the mentor, the, the mentoring piece that's attached to it. It's only music. It's only hip-hop. Right. And it works, universal you know? language. Well, it, before, it, it before you, before you well, go on to this, I have a call on the line who wishes to, to ask a question of you, and I think maybe we should bring him on in. Brother Tyre, your mic is live. <laughs> well, is it live? Yes, it is. Assalamu alaikum, family. Happy Savior's Day. Thank you. Um, Happy Savior's Day to you as well. Yes, sir. I've been listening on on this beautiful program. I have to commend you, Brother James and Sister Rafika, for such a fine program. And I definitely want to commend the brother for the work that he's doing because that's the type of work that we need to be doing in our community to make our community safe and decent. One um, one question that I do have, brother, is that in reference to, and you kind of answered it a little bit a few minutes ago, in reference to the marketing part and getting the word out for your program, what were some of the challenges that you faced in getting the word out for the program, especially in a small area like Williamsport, as compared to, say, if you were in Brooklyn? What what what, what were the challenges that you had to face, sir? Well, again, it's always a challenge when you're serving a certain demographic. For some reason, there's always going to be challenges to that. Uh, But I've learned over the years that you have to pull all of your resources out. And someone told me years ago that you get your way when you have more than one way. So I always have to find ways to get my way. And my way was getting the word out, whatever I needed to do, to get that word out, we would look at uh, making going to people. You always, in this business, you're always asking someone to help you uh, and hoping that you can touch their heartstrings and, and, and they will be willing to give up some time or some money or some space. And one thing we did, we reached out to all of the billboard companies, the billboard companies in, in Williamsport, and asked them just to, you know, Give us some space on the billboard, man, you know. I mean, how much does it really cost for you to just let us run an ad for 30 days on a billboard? And we were very fortunate with that. So we ran a huge billboard campaign. Uh, Lamar Advertising really looked out for us. They would only charge us for the paper. They wouldn't charge us for the space. But you try to rent a billboard in New York or Brooklyn somewhere else, it's like thousands of dollars. Yes, you sir. Know, yes, so sir. Thousands of dollars, you know. So, uh, but again, I come from a marketing background, so I understand that. So I've learned you just have to, you spend a lot of time asking people and trying to convince people to help you out, to give you a hand up, you know. And it's not for you, it's for the community. And people will, most of the time, when you reach out to the right people. So we started a marketing campaign. Uh, billboards was the key right there for us 
getting the so people would see the image. And it was what was important for us was changing the image of the African American community because at some points in Williamsport, all you ever saw was black people in handcuffs, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whatever you looked at the newspaper or you watched the news, that was the image that young people would see of themselves. So we wanted to change that. So we worked real hard on changing that image, and the billboards helped us do that. So when you would drive through the city, you would always see beautiful pictures of young African-American kids on these billboards in another light, you know, and convincing Comcast to give us the channel to run the show was another way of changing the image of the way that they saw themselves because they would see themselves on TV in a real positive light. Yes, sir. Well, well, brother, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great work. And as I said, I commend you on it. I'm thankful for what you're doing. And I also want to thank Brother uh, James and Sister Rafika for granting me the opportunity to hear this. We need to hear more stories like this. Y'all are doing a great work, and I greet you all in the Salaam Greeting Room to Peace of Paradise. Assalamu alaikum. Well, well, thank you, my brother. And keep us in mind that we're looking to replicate the, the YG program in Brooklyn. Are you calling from Brooklyn? Yes, sir. That sounds like a plan, brother. We, we can uh, sit well, down and talk about it or get you up in Brooklyn and see what we can do, brother. Sounds great. Yes. Brooklyn is definitely one of the cities that we we looked at replicating the model in, and we would love to bring the YG program to Brooklyn. So you can get my number from Sister Rafika or Brother James and have my contact yes. information. Absolutely. Yes, sir. I'm on Brother Tyre so is so one of those. Brother Tyre, I just wanted to say this before you hang up. You are one of those brothers who have that type of spirit, and you're active in the community. And I know that you, if you put your heart to this, it's going to come easier for you than for others to really bring about a program that will benefit our young ones out there in the CI, you know, I know. So we yes, can bring sir, this out yes, there. And there's people you could talk to that got deep pockets. We just have to yes, see sir. how we can get a hand get get our hands on their numbers. All right. So yes, I will help no you question, if you man. desire to do such to, to make this happen. So thank you, beloved. Yes, Keep listening because there are gonna be some other jewels that he's gonna drop on what he's doing actually in Philadelphia right now, and we're going to segue right into that conversation, okay? Okay, yes, sir. Yes, sir. All Thank right. you, Pam. You're welcome. Thank you, brother. This might be a good time to talk about the um, the tenants of, of the YGs. I want to make sure that we talk about the tenants and we will talk about the pledge, because when you mentioned earlier that when you go into the schools for the first time, you just drop a CD and you let them absorb the lyrical content and the and the the impulse of the hip hop, and then when you come back, you you explain to them there's a whole curriculum, a self esteem development that that accompanies the music. Yes, yes, uh, and and what we've learned over the years is that when you give young people an opportunity, they're going to rise to the occasion. You just have to expose them to it. Uh, like today was a good day for me. Uh, I've been in one school for three months, but I never had an opportunity to meet the teachers because when I come in, I come in mainly to work with the boys, and then I'm out on to another school, and then I'm, you know, back on the road. But today, 
they had a, a schedule conflict, so the principal took me around to all of the classrooms. He forgot to make an announcement to remind all of the YGs that I was coming today to film them, uh, to get an, an interview from, you know, some comments from them on film. So he said, well, let me walk you around this so you can see them in the classroom setting and meet their teachers. And he took me to about 10 classrooms, and each room that I went to, each teacher said that the program was has truly helped their behavior and attitude in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And as a, re, as a result of that behavior changing, they were able to help better help them academically. So that made my day today, hearing that today, because I never met these teachers. You know, until today, he introduced me to all of them, and they all said the same thing, you know, that they were so happy that this program was in their school, and they see a real impact of having it there. Uh, so, and because that's one of the main, go ahead. In order for the the young, the young, the boys to continue uh, on the path of becoming a YG, they have to sign a commitment. Mm-hmm. And they have that to... Honors, no, go ahead. Go ahead. That honors the, the five tenets. It's all about the tenets and the, the the commitment and the pledge. And so there's five tenets, you know. Number one is we are brothers. Number two is we would choose our words and actions wisely. And it goes into the definition of all that. Number three is we will respect all people. Number four, we will show good manners and good judgment. And number five uh, is participation in the YG program requires YGs to be gentlemen, not just at school, but everywhere. So it's mm-hmm. mainly teaching the basic things that you learn from your mother and father growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, just reinforcing what mom or dad teaches you. But now, even more than ever, we have to, the community really has to be a part of their development because the family structure is just not there anymore. Mm -hmm. So you have workshops at the beginning when they come in to really go into depth with them about how how do you, how do you be a brother? What is a brother? You know, how do you go and you, you, you uh, talk about the, the appropriate words and how to talk to one another with respect? Do you, you know, do you do role-playing? How does that work? Well, and, and we don't do that at the beginning. We go for a couple of weeks just going through the content of the lyrics because, mm-hmm. like, the song that just went off, if you really get into the content of what my son wrote about, how he embellished those lyrics, you'll see that the lyrics themselves are about the life skills. Mm-hmm. All of the songs speak and teach to what the tennis are all about. You know, like number one, it says this means we will we are brothers. We are brothers. And nowadays, even more, we talk about how police officers are killing us, but let's talk about how we're killing each other. Now, police officers are wrong too. Don't get me wrong. A lot mm-hmm. of police officers have done some bad things here. But now let's talk about us killing each other, you know. So they grow up in these neighborhoods without having any true love for the 
the brother, your yes, brother, sir. you know? Yes. No, yes. no love, you know, concept of a human life, you know, they'll get into high school, they'll drop out, now they got a gun in their hand. So they don't grow up with that philosophy of, of brotherhood. So we mm-hmm. say, number one, we are, we are brothers. This means treating each other with love and respect. We support each other in all that we do, and if we disagree, we are respectful about it. We want to build each other up and not tear each other down. And what was interesting today is at one of the schools I did an interview, and one of the kids went back to number one and how he he, he likes that because it helped him develop more friends, you know, a bond with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, that he didn't have before. Uh, so the music creates the tool, and the music teaches as well, because the lyrics have to tie into what the program is really all about. Beautiful. I, I wanted you to take us there. I wanted to, so that our listening audience can hear, clearly there is some technique and science of how we're reaching our children and changing their attitudes and directing them to be more of like what you said, a gentleman. You know, you're taking boys and making them men, respectful, responsible, loving and caring men. So yep. there's another component that we have to talk about. We're getting close to the uh, the hour, and I want to talk about the pledge because I think the pledge is just, it's like the icing on the cake. It's not the cherry yet because the cherry is when they become the gentlemen, but certainly the pledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, and what it really is, is that fraternity, fraternity philosophy but at a young age, you know, because when I was growing up uh, in the in the hood, it was the Boy Scouts, you know, and I was a I was a Cub Scout and I was a Boy Scout. I went through that whole thing and it was cool during that time, you know, when I was growing up. Uh, but imagine now putting a Cub Scout uniform on a boy walking around in the hood, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, he wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't last very long. You and know, it probably isn't going to happen. So no, it's not going to happen. No, it's it not going to happen. It does not fit in. No, it just not. It doesn't work right now. It has to be a different way. Now we have to change with the times and find better ways of reaching them. And another word that I hear a lot is engagement. Everybody's throwing that word around: engagement, engagement, engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so, a buzzword. That's the buzzword. But you, it has to be more than just a word. It has to be an actual action, you know. Yes. And we yeah. found that the YZ model creates the action, you know. Mm. So the pledge, you know, we are we are young gentlemen, brother James. You got to repeat after me. When I'm I gonna. Say. We are, okay, no problem. We are young. We are young gentlemen. We are young gentlemen. We are powerful. We are powerful. We have potential beyond measures. We have potential beyond measures. We are not perfect, but we can be excellent. We are not perfect, but we can be excellent. We will choose our words and actions wisely. We will choose our words and actions wisely. We learn from those before us. We learn from those before us. And we will teach those after us. We will teach those after us. So when I say who are we, you say YGs. 
Who are we? By G's. Who are we? Why G's. Who are we? Why G's. Then I say, what does that stand for? And you say, young gentlemen. Young gentlemen. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is powerful. And I can yes, imagine yes, yes. the pride that these little people have when they Absolutely. come to that point, when they have made that commitment and they say that pledge out loud together. Right, oh. right. Now, we know that on our Facebook page in the Keys, we have to put the links in there, Rafika, for the videos so folks can see these young people perform, see some of these interviews that has been um, t- um, doing live in the schools and at the uh, the academy. Uh, we may have enough time for you to talk about this last event that you had two weeks ago, how powerful and impactful that thing was, and... Um, also, we want to be able to have enough time to play one more song, uh, Rafiki, if we can, maybe to close out the show. So, yeah. uh, so if we can just, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the Clef Club, Lonnie, and then we're going to talk. And when you finish with that, if you could just go into the background of Puppy Love, and we'll um, invite you back another time because I know we we've left out some uh, nuggets. Oh, uh, okay, sure. I would love to. Uh... There's a lot to talk about. It's hard to do it all in, how long is this, one hour and a half? (laughs) Well, we always schedule for an hour, but we give an extra half hour because we know. We know know. by the time you get warmed up and we get into the conversation, time flies. So tell us about the Clef Club. And and if Brother Tahir is still on the line, this is uh, one of the answers to the questions of how Lonnie Marcus, um, the YGs, the young gentleman. Well, again, you know, it's been a year in, in the making here in Philadelphia, uh, un- getting to understand the lay of the land. Although I'm born and raised here, I haven't lived here in over 27 years. So I'm coming back home and getting to know who's who and that kind of thing, getting around, meeting people, networking, if you will. Uh, but I knew that after the three-month process that it wouldn't really have the impact so really, uh, Rafika, you know that that day was really the move it, move up day because you helped me to put that piece together to think it through, uh, the move up day and the recognition ceremony. So because you figure three months have gone by, we're working with them on the content of the lyrics. They're learning the routine. So now we have to make it real to them. They need exposure. It keeps going back to community recognition. They need to be recognized. They need exposure. They need people to see that they've been working hard for three months and they get it. So we're in three separate schools with 150 boys separately in, in schools that had never met each other until that day. So, But they all are being trained the same way in these schools separately. So we started to reach out to uh, the mayor's office, the center, a state senator here by the name of Sharif Street, and the mayor in Philadelphia, his name is Mayor Kenny, and uh, the superintendent of schools, his name is Dr. Height. But I knew that in order for this to be real to them, the mayor of the city needed to be there, the senator needed to be there, and the superintendent needed to be there. So what we did, we broke it out where we had the mayor do the pledge, 
like Brother James and I just did, and they had to repeat after after the mayor. And uh, Dr. Height, the superintendent, went over the uh, the tenants with them. And the senator did the same thing, went over. Well, the, Dr. Height had them sign the agreement, and the hmm. senator sort of reiterated the, the five tenets of being a YG. We sent out emails to all of the news media outlets, and we were very fortunate. ABC News came, Fox News showed up, the uh, Philadelphia Tribune newspaper showed up. So we were on the news that night on ABC and Fox, and we made it to the Tribune Sunday newspaper. So the boys got a chance to see themselves on TV. Now, when I saw them the following Monday, a lot of them hadn't, had a chance to see it, so, but I had a video of it. So I showed them, the, you know, how they looked on TV, and it totally blew them away to see themselves. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was the ticket because it's all about that self-esteem building. Because remember, a lot of these kids, the self-esteem is at an all-time low when I first meet them because they got so much baggage. They got so many things that they're dealing with, you know. Uh, a lot of them are helping to raise their siblings, you know. They're helping mom out, you know, doing the best they can, you know. But they need an outlet. They need to be kids, you know. They need something for them to make them feel good. It was clear that teachers couldn't reach them if their self-esteem is low. So Mm -hmm. it did what we needed this to do for them. So when I see them now, it's a sense of pride, you know. I went into school today. They, they, even the principal let them wear their hats in school now. You know, Aww. YG. They let them wear the gear. You know, you, you're YG. You can wear your hat. Okay, you good. Now, now also, they don't get the the hat and the t-shirt until they have reached a particular level. Is that correct? No, I, I gave it to them. I let them have them. Normally, we would do that. But it was no way after that event that we did on the 10th of February that I was going to take those shirts back. So I said, <laughs> guys, we don't normally do this. Take the shirts and hats, keep them clean, and each week when we come to do the workshops with you, the principal said it was okay for you to wear your shirts and your hats. Just don't wear your hats in school, you know. Mm-hmm. Bring your hats with you because now we're filming them. We're getting their comments. So we need them to be in the gear. Right. But it's a sense of pride. They have a, yeah. a they they belong well, to something. Right. Now. Lonnie, I need for you to briefly describe. When I say briefly, briefly describe the performance that rocked the world two weeks ago at that center with all those wonderful young men on stage. Well, all I can say is this. So imagine you're working with 150 kids. They're in three separate schools. You're doing the same routine with them at each school. Now they all come together, and you see them for the first time on stage, all in sync, never met each other, but you would think that all 150 of them have been working together for the past three months. Mm. It, It was a sight to behold. I wish we had more time for them to bond with each other. Now, they did have some time. They shook hands. They, you know, they broke bread together. They had lunch together, had a chance to talk. 
And for me, that was the big deal for me, seeing them come together as brothers, you know, to know that they are a part of something much bigger than them. And collectively, they are there for each other, you know. Oh, you hear that, Lonnie? We're going to go yeah. right into puppy love. We got to go right into puppy love now. <laughs> yeah, I'll be let's do puppy it. love. Puppy love up for us. Lonnie, tell us a little bit about that song. And wait, uh, again, tell us about puppy again, love. I, wait, hold, tell us okay. about puppy love and how people can connect with you on social media. Okay. Puppy love, again, this is my son. Again, my son and I together, uh, we wrote this together. He... You know, he wrote the uh, the, the verse, and, and he and I wrote the, the chorus together, and that's me on guitar. We wanted to come up with a song that would deal with what a lot of kids go through in elementary and middle school. You know, we all go through that phase, so we wanted to talk about it. We wanted to write about it, you know, and we did. Uh, so Puppy Love is just, you know, just think back when you were in elementary and middle school, you know. It's got the it. same thing for them. So, so tell us how we can connect with you on social media. Okay. Uh, the website is younggentlemanproject.com. That's www.younggentlemanproject.com. And our Facebook page is Kappa YG, C-A-P-P-A-Y-G's, apostrophe S, Kappa YG's. Uh, but right now, we're hoping that people will go to the website, which is younggentlemanproject.com, and hopefully make a donation. You know, you can make a donation through the page. Uh, you can shoot us an email, uh, stay in touch with us like that. But we ask that you uh, keep us in your thoughts and prayers, you know, and hopefully we'll, all the listeners that are there, if you're interested in getting a YG program in your community, please reach out to us. Good. And thank you, Lonnie, for coming on our show and introducing and talking about your journey in the, the YGs. And all of our shows are archived. You can listen to us on iTunes. You can go to our website at www.keys107network.com, or you can listen to the archives on blogtalkradio.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, hit us up on Instagram. I am so happy to have had this moment with you. We're going right into Puppy Love, and we will see you next week.
Sick and buddy study partners The teacher said her desk next to mine Your heart tells you you're not a fool And your mind tells you that she's the baddest girl In the whole school And it's cool It's like an angel came from above And Cupid hit me with this arrow of his puppy love I'm my Q, Derek, Isaiah, Matt, and my name's Azim. Yeah, we're brothers, but you guys don't be blind as time. Came since the story, I'm sorry, fam, but the girl is mine. There you go. Look at you sweating, why you sweating her? Very smart, pretty girl, your lame game ain't getting Y'all know just what we mean, right? Can't help but like the same person everybody else likes. Then we thought through rehearsing and all this outbursting. That is cool that everybody likes a good person. And that was her. The YG's is here to say It's like she moved here from heaven Just yesterday But hey On the one we all fell dumb She said she had a boyfriend Back where she moved here from Well One of life lessons from up above But what was new to me Was puberty My first puppy love Listening to the Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness with your host, Rafika and Brother James. 